Alrighty, let's get this thing started. Welcome to It's About Time. It is December 10th, 2018, which is Monday. The Redskins got embarrassed yesterday. It was 34 to nothing at halftime. It was a mass exodus out of the stadium at halftime. We're going to talk about all that. It's This is Nate. It's me flying solo today. Uh, Josh is under the weather pretty badly, as a matter of fact. His voice is uh, really not there. And he did not anticipate it getting better at any point this week, so I told him I'd fly solo. He did ask me a question before, or I should say when he texted me. He said, what is there really to talk about this week? And I said, I- I've got a lot of thoughts. Um, there's actually more to talk about, I think, than if the Redskins had won. Especially because Dallas won yesterday, they're pretty much going to, I think they're going to walk away with the division. You know, the Eagles have a tough game next week against L.A. You can't expect the Redskins to win another game this season. Matter of fact, the Redskins now, maybe they're jockeying for uh, draft position. Or maybe they take some pride and maybe they say we just don't want to finish at the same record or below the Giants. I don't know, but... Yesterday was a tough day for for the Redskins. It wasn't a tough day for me because I I wouldn't say I anticipated it. I didn't anticipate them getting blown out and having the most embarrassing first half in team hit or one of the most embarrassing first halves in team history. If I read a stat correctly, the 34 to nothing halftime deficit at home was the worst halftime deficit at home since 1940. So, 78 years, you know, not a uh, small number. And, uh, you know, we're going to get to all of that. We're going to jump right in in a second. I do want to remind everybody that we are affiliated with the DMVSportsNetwork.com. They can be reached on Twitter at DMV underscore SN. They are an up-and-coming D.C. sports website. They cover all things D.C. sports. They even cover local colleges and universities. They've gotten some press passes recently. They're going to start covering live action, uh, college sports. So give them a look, dmvsportsnetwork.com. We've got a tab up there with our information. You can play our podcast directly from their website. You can also get our podcast anywhere where podcasts stream. So please subscribe to our podcast. Rate us on any of the sites that you use that helps us get more views and more listens. We appreciate all the help that you guys can give us. And also follow us on Twitter. It's about time DC1. That is ITS, about time DC1 on Twitter. We love to hear from you guys. Josh always jokes that we have no listeners or two listeners. I know that we have significantly more than that. So I'd love to hear from you guys. And I'm going to ask some questions today that I'm going to try to answer. But I'd love to hear what you guys think as we go through it. Uh, so shoot us a message on Twitter. You can Our email address is also... In our Twitter profile, if you want to send us an email, you know, maybe we'll talk about it next week. Anyway, let's jump in. The Redskins lost yesterday 40-16 to to the New York Giants. It was 34 to nothing at halftime. Real quick aside about that, my cousin Max, who I mention a lot on this podcast, he's, um, he's one of those, he's still hanging on with the season tickets. He and my aunt, uh, my aunt has been going her whole life. It was, that was my story. That was my dad's story. Um, I haven't, I don't think I've said this, uh, on the podcast, but my parents actually met at a Redskins game. Uh, my dad's regular season seats were two rows behind my mom's seats. 
My dad and I have since given up the seats, but my mom's side of the family, which includes Max and my aunt, still have their six tickets. And uh, Max went yesterday. I believe he went with my aunt. And he sent me a text. And the only thing it said was, it's the first time I've ever left at halftime. And I don't blame him. The videos online that they were showing showed a mass exodus. People filing to the exits at halftime. Uh, it was so many people, actually, that it was backed up. You couldn't just freely leave. It was backed up to get out of the, end, uh, get out of the stadium. And I don't blame them. Um, the stadium was half full, according to Max, and that's probably being generous. And of the people that were there, at least half of them were wearing the giant blue. Uh, so that says what? That maybe 15 or 20,000 Redskin fans showed up yesterday. I don't begrudge those people. I give them credit. Uh, I wouldn't have been one of them. I wasn't one of them. Uh, I, I don't want to give that particular owner, that particular franchise, that particular, particular management t- team any more of my money. That's why we gave up our tickets several years ago. I did go a, f- a few weeks ago, but those were my cousin's tickets. So, I mean, let's be real. I didn't pay for them. Uh, we paid for parking, which was outrageous, by the way. It was $70 to pay for parking, which is a joke. But I, that's going to be my me digressing. Let's go back to the game. Mark Sanchez had a 10.7 quarterback rating in the first half. He went 6 of 14 for 38 yards and threw two interceptions. Josh Johnson came in in the second half. The Redskins, I believe at the time, were already down 40 to nothing. Giants only scored, is it six points? Six points in the second half. I mean, they clearly took their foot off the throttle. Eli got pulled after the third quarter. But Josh Johnson, who had been with the team all of, what, five days, came in and had a 104.9 quarterback rating, 11 of 16 for 195 yards, had a one touchdown. He did throw an interception in the end zone, but he also had a rushing touchdown. He had 45 yards rushing. There was a moment there when they were driving down, it'd be right before he threw the, the interception in the end zone, I said, you know, they might make this thing interesting because if they had thrown the touchdown, gotten the two-point conversion, it would have been a two-score game. There's six minutes left. Redskins had all three timeouts. Obviously, that was a fantasy, but Josh Johnson, for what he did, I mean, I got to give him credit. He looked good. Had not thrown an NFL pass since 2011, seven years. Had not appeared in an NFL game since 2013, so five years there. Uh, he's been named the starter next week. I mean, that's that's got to be obvious. Um, he looked good. I mean, I can't say much about him. Uh, I don't expect much from Josh Johnson next week. I I think he caught the Giants by surprise. The Giants hadn't game planned for him. They weren't, I don't think they were expecting him to play. But at the same time, when he came in, they were up 40 to nothing. The game was decided. Jacksonville has a full week to game plan around Josh Johnson. Jacksonville, on paper at least, has a better defense than the Giants. Plus, I mean, let's be real. It looks like uh, Jordan Reed is out for the season. They say it's a one to three week, which is the end of the season. Uh, With him, he's definitely not going to play this week. So, hey, really, good for Josh Johnson. He looked good. I'm happy for him. He's a 32-year-old quarterback. Maybe his performance yesterday and his performance the rest of the season gives him a look maybe with us, maybe with another team. I, I, I don't begrudge him, but at the same time, I'm not going to fall over myself and say, oh my God, there's our quarterback of the future. No, I think that he, there was no game film on him, especially running Jay's offense. He's, he's had 
experience in Jay's offense. He played for the Bengals when Jay was there as the offensive coordinator. So, I mean, great. To come in cold, uh, have 105 QB rating, go 11 for 16 and 195 yards, only throw one pick. And he looked mobile, 45 rushing yards. Good for him. First question I'm going to ask tonight, is there any reason right now to cut Mark Sanchez uh, and bring someone else in? I think it would have, if they were going to do it, it would have been done today. It wasn't done today. My answer to that question, I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to think if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, but my answer to that question would be no. Your season's over. I mean, if you're realistically looking at it, the season's over. Dallas now has a two-game lead in the division with three games to play. It's over. Redskins don't play Dallas again. They're not going to get in in the wild card. They're done. They're decimated by injury. They're really just playing out the stretch. The players that are going to play are playing to put game film together so that they can make other teams if they're not going to play here. So there's no reason to cut Sanchez. He's been in the system now three weeks, which is uh, makes him a veteran compared to everybody, all the other quarterbacks. I don't see a reason to do it. I would have liked, and I said this last week, if they had brought in Colin Kaepernick. And I know that that's a controversial position, position excuse me, because of uh, the kneeling thing and you know, people say he hasn't played in three years, all that good stuff. But uh, obviously there's some flux as to whether or not Jay's going to be back next year. But if Jay's going to be back next year, they should have brought in Colin Kaepernick. They still could, really, and keep Sanchez and just say we're going to carry three quarterbacks the rest of the way. Because um, right now they're technically on their roster carrying three quarterbacks. Colt McCoy has not been IR. So they could IR Colt McCoy, bring in Kaepernick, and just say learn the offense. Learn the offense. We're going to give you a whole offseason to learn the offense, and we're going to see what you got. And if you prove your worth, then you will have a chance in preseason. If you don't, then we're going to cut you. It's a low-risk move. Now, some people say you're going to alienate half of your fan base. My question to them is, what fan base? 20,000 Redskin fans showed up yesterday. Their ticket sales can't get any worse. It can't. Matter of fact, I think Kaepernick would improve their ticket sales. This isn't going to happen. This, is, again, is a fantasy. It's not going to happen. But, in my opinion, that's what they should do. At least in the short term, they're not going to do it. Sanchez is going to stay on the team. There's no reason, though, I mean, to cut Sanchez and bring in, like, a uh, another also-ran. There's no reason to. There's three weeks left. You have nothing to gain from that. I will say the amazing stat of the game for me... Um, other than the Giants putting up 34 points in the first half and the Redskins having something like 50 yards in the first half, which was amazing. Giants had only two accepted penalties for 18 yards against them. Two penalties for 18 yards. The Redskins had 15 penalties, accepted penalties for 135 yards. Their discipline lately has been subpar. And you have to ask yourself, this is another question I'm going to ask. You have to ask yourself if the team quit on Jay and his staff. The reason I'm going to say no to that, at least to a point, the reason I'm going to say no to that is that there was life on offense in the second half. Now, granted, the Giants were just playing pretty much safe. They were up 40 to nothing. But when Josh Johnson came in, there was life with the offense. And they started making some plays, even with a banged-up offensive line. They looked 
passable for an offense. You know, they look like a a lower level, but they look like an NFL offense. Whereas under Sanchez, they didn't look like anything. So I don't think the team quit on Jay. I honestly just think a they were severely outcoached, especially on defense, and we're going to get to that a little bit later with uh, Minuski. But I think on offense, they became they were behind so quickly, or not so quickly, but they were behind. And this team is just, even when healthy, was not built to come from behind. The one question, another question you got to ask, and this will play into another question we ask later regarding the front office. With a banged-up offensive line, both of your starting guards, Sean Laval, Brandon Sheriff, out for the season, whoever had the idea to bring in an immobile quarterback like Mark Sanchez, uh, I, they probably didn't anticipate that he'd see the field because Col- when they brought him in, Colt McCoy was healthy. But still, the idea to bring in an immobile quarterback like Sanchez behind that offensive line, especially when Jay doesn't really like immobile quarterbacks, he likes quarterbacks that can roll out, it wasn't a good one. I don't know if that was Doug Williams. I don't know if that was Bruce Allen. But that was not, uh, that was not a wise move. And it's certainly the right move. Again, I don't expect much from him, but it's certainly the right move to have Josh Johnson start the rest of the way out. If only to see, can he be a long-term backup for the next year or two? Um, Because moving forward, you're going to have to either sign a veteran um, or you're going to have to draft a quarterback or both, or you're going to have to do both. So see what you can get in Josh Johnson. I mean, if he shows in the next three weeks that he's serviceable as a quarterback, then I think you keep him on the roster. You bring him to the training camp next year. If not, I mean, it's completely starting from scratch at the quarterback position. Because as the news came out this week, I mean, we talked about it last week a little bit. Alex Smith's had complications. It, it The news only gets worse. I mean, they say he's had, I think, something close to like half a dozen surgeries since his initial surgery. He's had infection issues. They just can't seem to get it under control. Um, the idea that he'll ever play again is certainly looking bleaker and bleaker. And uh, he's definitely not going to be ready by the start of next season. Add on top of that, and I don't think that this is entering anybody's mind, but it does have to be said, the Redskins get no cap relief from Alex Smith being out on injury. His contract is protected and guaranteed for injury for 2019 and 2020. So they get no cap relief. Um so they're going to have to find creative ways to bring in quarterbacks. We're going to get to that. Actually, let's move right into that. My big question is, where do we go from here? And I have a few steps I think the Redskins need to take. The first step, and I don't think this is going to come as any surprise to anybody if they've listened to me talk about the Washington Redskins this year, is firing Bruce Allen. The guy has been a disaster since he's come here. Uh, he was the one that orchestrated and got Scott McGowan out of town. There are multiple reasons why. I mean, it was certainly clear that Scott McGowan had a drinking problem. Why bring him in if that's the case? But when he was here, there were kind of signs that Bruce Allen didn't like the fact that McGowan was getting all the credit when the Redskins were successful, mainly in 2015 when they won the division. Ian Rappaport reported today that the Raiders are considering Allen for their general manager position. They just fired their GM, Reggie McKenzie, this weekend. Uh, John Gruden and Bruce Allen worked together in Tampa Bay in the early 2000s. I say let him go. Good riddance. Dan Snyder has an affinity 
for Bruce Allen, mainly because his father is the sainted George Allen. But in my opinion, you let Bruce Allen go. The guy is an abysmal front office guy. He's great with contracts, but he's a cancer in Ashburn. And he has not, in my opinion, has not added much to the Redskins franchise. I think that he has actually detracted a lot. Now, to go the other way. In my opinion, and again, this is just my opinion, regardless of how bad it gets, Jay Gruden stays. And here's why. There's multiple reasons. We're going to get into the reason, my case for Jay in a minute. But the short version of it is, A, there's nothing really that exciting out there. Lincoln Riley, okay, I'm not a huge fan of college coaches to begin with. But you look at the assistants that are available, you're really taking a chance. And in my opinion, Jay's going to be better than any of those guys. And you're going to have a lot of people, especially on offense, that are coming back next year, and the team will be better served if Jay is still the guy calling offensive plays. Jordan Reed will be back. most likely. He's still under contract. Trent Williams, Morgan Moses, Brandon Sheriff, Chase Rulia, basically the whole offensive line. Uh, you've got Paul Richardson will be coming back from injury. Mo Harris, uh, pretty sure Vernon Davis is going to be back. you got Darius Geis coming back, who knows the Gruden system a little bit. Uh, I think you keep Jay, and there's going to be. I'm going to make a case for it in a few minutes about why you keep Jay. Why Jay is, in my opinion, underrated as a coach. But I think you keep Jay, and I think what you do to help Jay, I think you have to look for a quarterback in the draft. But they're most likely going to have a pick that's around because they've gotten the six wins. It's going to be around the number ten to twelve pick, most likely. So I think your best bet is to bring in a veteran quarterback. My top two or Joe Flacco or Teddy Bridgewater. They're both most likely going to be available. Lamar Jackson has really shown himself to be uh, an effective quarterback, ready to helm um, an NFL offense in Baltimore. So Flacco will most likely be available. I think he'll be available. I don't. I, he might not be cheap. Teddy Bridgewater would be a little bit of a cheaper option. He's also mobile, which Jay likes. Flacco, not that mobile, might not be a great fit with Jay, but let Jay coach him up. Jay's been great with quarterbacks. Say what you want about Alex Smith and Jay together in their first season, but here's the deal. Alex was 6-3 and three in, the ni- in the nine games prior to him getting hurt, and he didn't turn the ball over. They're 0-4 since Alex went down. In my opinion, aside from the injuries, there's no other explanation other than Alex Smith is not the quarterback of this team. So I think you keep Jay. Mainly, it's not so much because Jay is a great coach. I wouldn't say he's a great coach. I'd say it's a combination of you've got a lot of players who have been in his system multiple years who will still be playing on the team next year. And also, you have the opportunity to bring in a veteran quarterback, and I don't think you're going to find somebody who's better with quarterbacks than Jay Gruden when you go out there and try to find one of the brilliant offensive minds. I mean, I said it last week. I'm going to reiterate it. Sean McVay's not out there. Sean Payton's not out there. Andy Reid's not out there. You got to do what you can. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Step three for the Redskins. Greg Minuski's got to go. He's got to go. His defense had a well above average first half. Uh, well above average. But since the first Giants game that the Redskins won, twenty to six, the Redskins are giving up about four hundred and twenty-six yards a game on defense. And they've had no real significant injuries other than maybe Dunbar. 
on that side of the ball. There's no explanation for it. Minuski has not done his job. He's got to go. They got to go, and they got to go find a better defensive mind than Greg Minuski. They've got some talent on that side of the football, especially when you're talking about the front seven. In my opinion, they should be able to find a pretty defensive, a pretty decent, excuse me, defensive mind. The idea that when Jay took over the Redskins, the Redskins could have spent real money and brought in somebody. This would have been in the second season, excuse me, with Jay. Could have brought in somebody like Vic Fangio, who right now is killing it in Chicago. He's got probably the best defense in football in Chicago. Or a Wade Phillips, who's got a pretty good defense in L.A. The idea that they didn't go and get one of those guys is nauseating. They got a guy like Minuski who didn't really have a great track record. It's nauseating. They've got a lot of talent on defense, though. Their front seven is, uh, you know, probably in the top half of the NFL. They got to go get a better offense, or defensive mind, excuse me. My final thing, when at least when it comes to the coaching staff and the front office, do everything that you can to keep Bill Callahan on your coaching staff. The guy is a wizard uh, with the offensive line. He has to stay. The injuries that they have sustained on the offensive line over the last two years have, have just been brutal. Really just brutal. Uh, Bill Callahan's got to stay, you know, do everything you can to keep him. If I'm him, I want out, but do everything you can to keep him. Uh, you can spend as much money as you want on a coaching staff. I say you got to do it. In regards to the front office, if you bring in a new GM, if you fire Bruce Allen, if that new GM comes in and says, I want to get rid of Jay, then you do that. Then you get rid of Jay because you got to give the new GM his opportunity to hire his coach. But otherwise, I think you keep Jay, and here's why. Here's why, in my opinion, Jay stays. His first season, he was 4-12 in 2014. That was a season where it was kind of a quarterback carousel between Kirk Cousins, RG3, and Colt McCoy. RG3 started seven games. Kirk started five, and Colt started four. Jay had no influence that year. He was brought in to teach RG3 how to be a pocket passer, and it looked pretty obvious that Jay knew pretty early on that RG3 wasn't his guy. Go into the second season of Jay's tenure. He starts the season out, well, I should say he starts the offseason out in January by saying RG3 is the starter. But by what, it was like week two of training camp, he says, eh, Kirk's our starter. And that took a combination of him and Scott McLuhan convincing management that Kirk Cousins gave them the best chance to win. Jay put his job on the line because Dan Snyder was a huge fan of RG3. So what happens? Well, Kirk throws for almost 4,200 yards, 4,166, goes 29 touchdowns and 11 picks. Jordan Reed leads the team in receptions, 87 catches, 952 yards. Alfred Morris was their leading rusher. He only had 751 yards. The story of that season, they won the NFC's title, but their defense was putrid. They were ranked 28th in yards allowed and 17th in points allowed. The offense was 11th in passing, 20th in rushing, 17th overall but they were 10th in points scored. Go to the third season. Now, this is the most frustrating season, in my opinion, of Jay Gruden's career. Not for Jay, but for the NFL, for the Redskins fans. They go 8-7-1. The one, obviously, being the tie in London. That's got to be one of the worst in Jay's career, the missed field goals in overtime. But Kirk goes almost 5,000 yards. He goes over 4,900, has 25 touchdowns and 12 picks. They have two 1,000-yard receivers in Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson, and J Jamison Crowder was close. He had 847 yards. Again, the defense, though, ranks 28th in yards allowed. They rank 19th in points. 
They miss out on the playoffs at the end of the season. They're playing the Giants, who had already clinched a playoff spot, and were resting their starters. And Kirk Cousins throws a late interception that ices the game, and the Redskins miss the playoffs by half a game. And then you go to his fourth and fifth seasons, which would be 2017 and this year. He went 7-9 and nine in 2017, and so far this year he's 6-7. and seven. Two major things in those seasons. At the end of 2016, the Redskins decide not to re-sign Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. They decide instead to draft Josh Doxson, which hasn't worked out. And they have not added significant pieces to their skill position players since. Secondly, in both seasons, they have been decimated by injuries on the offensive side of the football. Some on the defensive side, but mostly on the offensive side. Their offensive line in both seasons has been absolutely destroyed by injury. And Jordan Reed, he suffered an injury last year, and then he has suffered one this year, but this year it was a little too late. It didn't matter. Jay was dealt a bad hand the last two years. In the two seasons where he had a viable quarterback, receiving options, didn't have a great running game. His entire tenure here, he has never had a legit starting running back. He started this season, and they thought, man, we got Darius Geis. He's got a chance to be explosive out of the backfield. And they've had Chris Thompson, who has been a great kind of change of pace back, but he really can't touch the ball more than 10 to 15 times a game. Darius Geis was supposed to be their guy. He blows out his knee in the first game in preseason. These are all things that are outside of Jay's control. Add to it, they get AP. I mean, he's been nice, but he's really faded down the stretch. It's a combination of him, but also the offensive line just being decimated by injury. So in those two seasons, injuries, lack of skill position players in his fourth and fifth seasons, but the two seasons where he had legit receivers and a good tight end, Garcon, Deshaun Jackson, and Jordan Reed, they went 9-7, and seven, won the NFC East, and then 8-7-1 and one, and missed out on the playoffs by half a game. Does that make him a great coach? No, not by any means. But it was the first time in, what, like 20 years that the Redskins won were had a winning record in two straight seasons? The lack of real skill position players on this roster is on Bruce Allen in the front office. It's not on Jay Gruden. They have no explosive players outside of maybe Chris Thompson, who in the last two years has not been able to stay healthy. And Jordan Reed is not what he was in 2015 when he caught 87 passes for 952 yards. Again, is Jay a great coach? No, but he's better than what you have out there available to you, in my opinion. Now, again, I said earlier, if you bring in a new GM and he wants a new coach, if he's got a guy in mind that he wants to bring in, you make the move. But in my opinion, Jay has been dealt a terrible hand, and I think that he's handled it well, and I think that he's kept the locker room mostly together. I like Jay Gruden. I don't think he's a great coach, but I think he deserves another year. I think with the guys that you're bringing back, and the idea that with the defense, which under a new coordinator could be a lot better next year, if you're thinking, man, maybe we can just be a contender for a wild card next year, maybe you go get a Teddy Bridgewater, coach him up, get one weapon on the outside, hopefully, in the draft or in free agency if they're available, and then maybe you claw out eight or nine wins next year. Maybe. Probably not, but maybe, you know, Jay gives you a better chance of doing that than I think any other coach, in my opinion. I could be wrong. Again, I am not a an analyst by any stretch but in my opinion what's the harm i'm going to take a second i will be back you won't notice it because i'm going to hop right back on when we get back we'll talk a little bit about the nats they made some news a little bit of news this week mainly revolving around bryce harper but also revolving around 
the free agents that are available to them. So we'll talk about that. And then I've got a final thought, which will get us back to the Redskins. Um, kind of a bigger picture look at the Redskins, their fan base, what the fan base has been through, all that kind of stuff. So I will be back in just one second. All right. We're going to talk about the Nats here in a second, but I did want to remind everybody again that we are affiliated with DMVSportsNetwork.com. That's a local DC sports website, an up-and-coming DC sports website. They have a lot of great written content on their website, and they also are affiliated with seven different podcasts, one a day. We are included in that list. They release one a day covering fantasy football, covering the, the Caps, the Wizards, the Redskins, They've got some that are kind of national sports, and then they have us, which is a nice mixed bag, kind of a fan's perspective of D.C. sports. We are, you know, mainly Nats and Redskins heavy. When we get closer to the Caps season, we'll really, or closer to the Caps postseason, we'll really be in on the Caps. Josh is a gigantic Caps fan. So we'll get into all that. But again, dmvsportsnetwork.com, they're doing great things over there. Uh, again, one of the podcasts I listen to, I mean, you're getting close to the end of the need for it, probably entering the playoffs or in the last couple weeks of your playoffs or your fantasy team. But Fantasy Fever by Marcus Hemingway is a great listen. So check them out, dmvsportsnetwork.com. Also, you can follow them on Twitter at dmv underscore sn. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, it's about time dc1. It's ITS about time dc1. I blanked there for a minute. Again, follow us on Twitter. It's about time DC1. ITS about time DC1. Let me know what you think and uh, answer some of my questions that I'm posing today or let me just send me some ideas. Send us an email, whatever. We'll talk about it. I get a lot of feedback from my family. I talk a lot about my cousins who provide a lot of feedback. So I'd love to hear from you guys and uh, let me know what you think. Those of you that listen and, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about one of your ideas and hey, if we like it enough, we'll have you on as a guest. Anyway, let's jump into the Nationals. What needs for them are left? That's the big question mark this week. As we head into the winter meetings in Las Vegas, it's kind of apropos, I guess, that the winter meetings are in Las Vegas, the year that Bryce Harper is the big free agent. There's part of me that thinks that that's not an accident. Uh, John Heyman reported today that the Nats are focused on starting pitching which is a surprise because they gave Patrick Corbin $140 million last week. But a starting pitcher, potentially a second baseman, and then definitely another arm to put in the bullpen. Uh, when you come to second base, you're talking about DJ LeMahieu, Brian Dozier, they're available in the free agent market, maybe Marwin Gonzalez. And then you're also, this week you found out that the Reds are considering trading Scooter Jeanette. He's got some pop. He'd be an interesting ad for the Nationals, depending on what it would cost to acquire him. When you're talking about the starting pitching market, I don't think that the Nationals are going to be are going to go out and get another big signing. I don't think that they're going to be in on Dallas Keuchel or J.A. Happ. Nathan Eovaldi signed this week with the Red Sox. Um, I think they might look in the trade market. Granke is available. He has a 15, 15, one five number, um, no, no, teams on his no trade clause. The Nationals are not one of them. They're mostly big market teams. He, he's always been a guy, I think he's dealt, from, dealt with a little anxiety and depression, doesn't like being in big markets. The Nationals could go get him. They have the pieces to do it. The question is, 
if they were to go get Zach Greinke, which would be amazing, you look at that rotation. We'll talk about that in a second. But if they were to go get Greinke, you have two hurdles. The first hurdle is his contract. He's owed over $30 million a year for the next three years. That's not really something the Nationals payroll can absorb. So you want Arizona to eat some of the money. If you want Arizona, if you're going to take the whole contract, Arizona will probably take it for a couple of middling prospects. They're not going to expect a top prospect. If you want Arizona to eat 30, 40% of the contract, which they'll do because they're trying to cut payroll. If you want them to eat that much of the contract, you're going to have to give them a top prospect. You're probably talking a Carter Keboom. I'm okay with that if you're going to get Granky and add him as your fourth starting pitcher. You'd be looking at a starting rotation, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, Zach Granke, and Tanner Roark. There would be no starting rotation in baseball better than that. Um, is it overkill? I, I don't think it's overkill. I don't think you can ever have too many arms, especially the way teams are trending now, in my opinion, they are overusing their bullpen. I think the pendulum has swung a little bit too much to matchups and starter gives you four or five innings and you go to your bullpen. Gabe Kapler did it last year, and he did it from the start of the season, and his bullpen fell apart at the end of the season. Their arms were tired. As a matter of fact, this whole pitching staff fell apart because of the way that they were used. Does the traditional way still work? Starting pitcher giving you six or seven innings and then your bullpen taking care of the rest? I think it does. I think it does. I think that the Red Sox showed that it can with uh, their big three of David Price, Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, Nathan Eovaldi, and then Alex Cora got inventive in the World Series, in the playoffs in general, but in the World Series. He had Porcello and Nathan Eovaldi in the bullpen, and he brought them in to pitch an inning, two innings, um, you know, because his bullpen wasn't that strong. So I, I don't think you can have too many great starting pitchers. So the Granke thing would be interesting. I, I, uh, I personally have never really liked Zach Granke, but he's a very, very good pitcher. He's on the kind of on the downslope of his career, but he's still a very good pitcher. And if he had no pressure, I mean, he'd be the probably the fourth starter here. I think he'd fit in nicely. But again, it's going to be a question of how do, how do they handle the contract because he's got three years and close to a hundred million left, and uh, what prospect do you give up for him? The other option, and I've been ringing this bell for a couple of weeks, you go to the Indians and you get either Trevor Bauer. Or Corey Kluber. Apparently, the Indians are in talks with the Los Angeles Dodgers regarding, re, excuse me, regarding Corey Kluber. They're looking for outfield help. If that's the case, then the Nats are probably out. And here's why: the the outfielder that the Indians are going to want is going to be Victor Robles, and that's just a no go, especially if you're not bringing Harper back. If they had an inside track and they were going to bring Harper back, then you maybe give up Victor Robles for three years of Corey Kluber. But I, I don't know if you can do that. Uh, but that would be that would be my option. A Kluber's a lot cheaper, at at an average of about eighteen million a year over the next three years. And I think I like Kluber better. I think he's a better pitcher than Granke. Both of those I think are far fetched ideas. I think the Nationals will look at starting pitchers, but their starting rotation is pretty good to begin with. Um, but with Strasburg's health being in question, it would not be a bad idea to add another pretty solid three, four, five starter. Somebody in the mold of a Tanner Roark, somebody that could eat up innings. And may give up three, four runs a game, but it will keep you in games. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that down the road, you know, moving down the road. And there are plenty of viable relief pitching options available. 
Uh, again, I talked about last week Brad Brock. Uh, if they really wanted to go crazy, you know, you could potentially bring in a Zach Britton, somebody of that caliber. I mean, Craig Kimball's available, but you're pretty solid. You've got one of the best closers in the game already in Sean Doolittle, at least statistically last year he was. Uh, and then you've got two really, in my opinion, really good to potentially great setup men. I wouldn't call Kyle Barraclaw great. I'd call him very good. At least he has been in Miami and Trevor Rosenthal. And then you've got guys like Matt Grace, Sammy Solis, um, Wander Suero, those guys. Um, so they've got some guys that can handle the sixth, seventh innings. Uh, but but adding another arm wouldn't be the end of the world. I'd like that. Maybe Darren O'Day they bring in. There are some options out there. I think that's something that they can wait for the market to set itself. Another big news in Nationals uh, in the Nationals world this week. They announced the Patrick Corbin signing um, with a news conference earlier this, or I should say, at the end of last week. And they had not the team had not publicly spoken about the Bryce Harper situation. Pretty much since the end of the season, the uh, the news of his the contract offer that they made to him had leaked. Uh, I don't think they were upset that it leaked, but it leaked. So Mark Lerner went on the radio and pretty much said something that would be music to my co-host Josh's ears. He said that he didn't really see, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, he didn't really see a scenario in which Bryce would be coming back to the Nats. He thanked Bryce for his years here. He appreciated everything that he had done for the Nats, but basically said that the 10 years, $300 million, that they offered him at the end of the season with no opt-outs was as good as they could do. And even given the signings that the Nats have done, the Patrick Corbins, the Trevor Rosenthal's, even if Scott Boris and Bryce Harper came back and said, hey, we want to work around that contract. We like to 10 for 300. Even then, Mark Lerner said, I don't really know if we could make it work now financially. And I honestly, I didn't think I would react this way. I was very happy to hear that. Because they went in to the offseason. They said, we're going to address our needs. We're not going to worry about what he wants. We're going to address our needs. And they have addressed their needs in such a way that you basically go, they filled pretty much every hole. And if you look at their remaining holes, if you want to call them holes, maybe their fifth starter. I mean, that's a, it's a, an issue that a lot of teams wish was their, their biggest issue, a fifth starter. And they've got two viable options, Joe Ross, Eric Fetty. And then second base, you look at, they have Howie Kendrick and Wilmer Defoe. Two average, I mean, Kendrick's probably a slightly above average player. Those two guys can platoon there if they don't want to invest any more money there. Maybe down the some point in the season, you bring up Carter Keyboom. I think they could get away with not filling the second base hole. Uh, and then relief pitcher, I think you're going to you're gonna see them sign at least one more person. I, that's not a big deal. But they've addressed all their needs. Catcher, starting pitcher, um, and relief. They've done everything that I could ask of them. And the big thing is, I think this is a sign. Mark Lerner is the principal owner now. He's the or he's the kind of the one that manages the team. It's his father, Ted, he's a lot older. He's, he's still owner of the team, but I don't think he's a lot in the day-to-day. This new era of Mark Lerner hopefully shows that he and Mike Rizzo are simpatico. 
and they're not going to deviate from one another. You're not going to see like what happened with Rafael Soriano or with Matt Wieters, where Scott Boris skipped Mike Rizzo and went right to ownership and said, you need this guy. I don't think you're going to see that with Mark Lerner. Because Mark Lerner said, you know, Bryce would be leaving a lot of money on the table if he tried to come back here. But he also said that the money really just isn't there anymore. And I don't have a problem with that. I really don't have a problem with that. I love Bryce Harper. I've loved watching him. I love the fact that he's a national. And in a perfect world, I'd love him to retire as a national. But with this team, the outfield that they have, and the other pieces that I'd like to see them lock up, it does not make sense to pay him $30 million a year. And I might be wrong, but I don't think that Bryce Harper is a $30 million a year guy. I just don't. He could be. He's 26 years old. His best years are probably ahead of him. But in my opinion, it's smarter to spend that money on Anthony Rendon, who has statistically been better over his career, other than Harper's MVP season, and probably some other piece, because Rendon's not going to get 30 a year. Along those lines of Rendon, it has come out that Rizzo has apparently made multiple offers to Rendon. It sounds like they're just trying to find where both team, both the team and the player can match. It sounds like that's a focus of the front office. That, to me, is fantastic news. I'd love to see Rendon be a lifelong Nat, much like Ryan Zimmerman. I mean, you want to talk about continuity. Really, since the Nationals have come to D.C., they drafted Bryce, or excuse me, they drafted Ryan Zimmerman. Their first draft pick is as the Washington Nationals. He shows up that September. Since that September in 2005, they've had two third basemen, regular third basemen, Ryan Zimmerman and now Anthony Rendon. It's been their most stable position. I'd love to see Anthony Rendon play there another decade. I love Anthony Rendon. I think he's a phenomenal baseball player. I think he's quiet. I think he's a great teammate. I'd love to see him stay there. So that was great news to hear that Rizzo has apparently made multiple offers to Rendon and they are actually negotiating and trying to, and they're actually close or somewhat close. They're not, uh, you know, so far apart that it's not realistic. Now, Tom Verducci came out regarding Mark Lerner's words about the Washington Nationals basically moving on from Harper. And Verducci says the Nats gave up on Harper too early. He was a first round pick, he won an MVP. You've gone to four playoffs with him, won four divisions with him. He should have been a guy. He should have been your Tony Gwynn, your Cal Ripken, the guy that you build your franchise around. I, I couldn't disagree more. When you have a guy like that, in this day and age, and I don't begrudge anybody for wanting their money, right? Bryce wants his money, and he will probably get it. He wants his money. He wants to make as much money as possible. That's not in the Nats' best interest. It just isn't. They can't, as my co-host, my partner, has said over and over again, signing him to a $35 or $40 million a year deal just to make him a lifelong Nat is not in the best interest of the team and would sink the team. It would be like sinking the Titanic. That's what Josh likes to say. I've kind of come around to that. I think Bryce's expectations, maybe they're a little too high. We'll see as this thing shakes out. But I don't think the Nationals have given up on him. They made him a deal that wasn't they it was a deal that they knew he wouldn't accept because they had no opt-outs. But they basically said this is as this is as good as we can do. And Boris either didn't come back and say, Well, can you do 30 million a year for 12 and give us an opt-out of this or whatever, whatever. They didn't do any of that. 
They just outright rejected it. And it would work in, in, for the favor for both teams, you know, both sides. The team got good PR that they actually tried to re-sign him. Harper got to say to other teams, look, they think I'm worth $30 million a year. He's not, in my opinion, worth $30 million a year. The Nationals have great pieces. Their outfield is stacked. They can field one of the best outfields in baseball for the next five to six years. Definitely the next four years at a very cheap price. I don't see any reason not to do it. Anthony Rendon should be their focus. I think Tom Verducci, in this case, is wrong. Barry's Veluga of the Washington Post says, don't count the Nats out yet on Bryce Harper. I would actually agree with that. Um, and here's why. Yankees came out today, Brian Cashman, general manager of the New York Yankees, and he said that the talk of Bryce Harper to the Yankees, not accurate, not correct. Uh, they're stacked in the outfield. Apparently, Brian Cashman named six outfield players Outfielders, because we we're, we're we have a glut at that position, and the idea of playing Harper at first base is not realistic. So it sounds like they're out on Bryce Harper. So the number of teams that would actually be in on Bryce Harper, in my opinion, are starting to dwindle. And is there a team that will give him thirty plus million a year? Probably, but if they don't, there's only one team that Bryce is going to go back to with a hat in hand and say, "Hey, let's make something work," and that's the Washington Nationals. I wouldn't count the Nationals out in regards to that. If Bryce comes back and is willing to make serious concessions to the Washington Nationals when it comes to deferred money, when it comes to opt-outs, things of that nature, I think the Nationals would explore it. But I don't think the Nationals will be the aggressor. I think Harper would have to come to them. So I agree with Barry Zerluga that I wouldn't count the Nationals out yet, but I don't think the Nationals are the front-runner to land him. But again, the big spending teams, the Red Sox, are clearly out on him. The Yankees, probably out on him. Dodgers might be interested. It sounds like the Cardinals are not interested in Bryce. Uh, I mean, where's the Mike? Cubs probably don't have the money for him. Maybe they make a run at him. Who knows? I mean, does he want to go to the Giants where they may or may not contend? Where's he going to go? It's a fascinating question. I don't know where he's going to go, but it's a fascinating question. Uh, the Nationals, I think, are, they're, they're really doing a good job building their team. I look forward to see what they're going to do over the next month or two. Um, all hail Mike Rizzo. And Mike Rizzo we trust. He's a breath of fresh air compared to what we've got going on in Ashburn, Virginia. And that's going to lead me to my final thought. I'll take a deep breath here. My final thought is going to start with a question. And it's a it's a big picture question. What has happened to the Washington Redskins franchise? It's been well documented. I mean, it's been well documented. But here are my thoughts. And I've heard, I, I haven't listened to any podcasts today, but I've heard a lot of people saying that it's been a, it's been a, a day of misery. People have been just kind of venting their feelings. And this is kind of going to be me venting my feelings, but it's also just going to be me. I, I put this, I actually typed all this out because I wanted to make sure that I put it all out on paper. This isn't a stream of consciousness. I actually typed it out. I, I wanted to see what it looked like, uh, and I feel pretty good about it. And uh, I'm going to let it rip. This is me on how I feel about the Nash, or the Redskins. Excuse me. The Redskins used to be a passion of mine, and actually many people. In, the, in and around the district, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia people. It used to be a passion. It used to actually mean something to be a Washington Redskins fan. 
yesterday we talked about this. The stadium might have been half full. If capacity is, let's give them 80,000, half full means 40,000. And half of those fans were in Giant Blue, so you're talking about realistically 15 to 20,000 Redskins fans showed up yesterday. In a game where if the Redskins win and the Eagles win, they are again tied for first place. 15 to 20,000 Washington Redskins fans showed up, and the majority of them left at halftime. Locally, the Redskins game got about a 14 share on TV. What does that mean? Well, in the heyday, or let's just say 10 years ago, it would have gotten a 25 or a 30 share. So it would have had double the number of people at home watching it. They got a 14 share. Comparatively, the Cowboys-Eagles game that kicked off at 425 did over a 20 share locally in the D.C. metro area. The Redskins are now an afterthought. They're an afterthought. People don't plan their Sundays around them. Their Sundays or Mondays, whatever. They don't do it. If they're home, they'll watch them, but they don't do it. Josh was right when he said last week that we didn't talk about the dysfunction of the franchise for the first 10 weeks. They were 6-3. and three. They were in first place. The thing is that winning does cover up a lot of the pain, dysfunction, and embarrassment, but it doesn't make it go away. I'm personally me. I'm personally embarrassed inside to be a Washington Redskins fan. I'm embarrassed. I was watching the game yesterday with my dad. I watched the whole game. We watched it from kick until the very end, and then we switched over to Ravens Chiefs to watch the end of that. And I was watching it with my dad. For me and my dad, that used to be appointment TV. It was a can't miss. One of my favorite things to talk about back in the day when people had home telephones. We'd sit down and watch the game. And at 1.30 or 2 o'clock, my dad's mom, my grandmother, my bubby, she'd call. And my dad, you know, you'd hear the phone ring. My dad would go, who the hell's calling in the middle of a Redskin game? You know, the audacity of that person. It was his mom. It was my grandmother. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, it's we were we started the game. We were at my I was at my dad's house. I brought my kids down. And we started in his kitchen. And he's got a small TV in his kitchen. We're just watching it. My dad's like, you want to go in the basement and watch the big TV? I said, whatever. doesn't matter. They're an afterthought. They're an afterthought. They're an afterthought to me. They're an afterthought to my dad. He and I could not be less interested in... The Redskins, I mean, I watch them, and I, you know, I root for them, but I couldn't be less interested. Dan Snyder, Vinny Serrato, Bruce Allen, all of them, they've destroyed a part of my childhood. They really have. It was a part of my childhood. We planned Sundays around it. I mean, if somebody offered to do something with us or invited us to do something on a Sunday that the Redskins were playing, the answer was no. Sundays in the fall were meant for the Redskins. And... I don't have it in me to root for another team. I can't go and root for, I don't know, the Steelers or the Ravens or the Patriots or a team like that, or even the Chiefs who are exciting to watch. I don't have it in me to do that. I, I'm, I'm loyal to a fault. I was born and raised Burgundy Gold. Parents met at RFK Stadium. I will always root for the Burgundy Gold as long as they are local. Um, and I'll continue to watch and pull for them. But as long as Dan... Snyder owns the team. I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to like rooting for them. I'll have pockets of time where they're enjoyable to watch. 
But you have to ask yourself, what joy have we experienced in the last 26 years? I mean, let's go beyond Dan Snyder, but really since the last Super Bowl, what what joys have we experienced? And these are all in the Dan Snyder era. You can count them on one hand, in my opinion. The division title in 1999, they won a playoff game. That was the year of the bad snap and the field goal that never was against Tampa Bay. The return of Joe Gibbs and then the two playoff runs, most notably the playoff run in 2005. 2007 playoff run was a bit melancholy because of the loss of Sean Taylor. But the return of Joe Gibbs was exciting, brought some joy, brought some hope. And then really, I mean, Mike Shanahan, maybe, maybe you give it to that, but at that point a lot of people were jaded. The RG3 season in 2012, especially the second half, was very exciting. And then the rise of Kirk Cousins in 2015, the improbable division title. 2016 was fun to watch until the very end of the season. I mean, that's pretty much it in 26 years. The rest of it's been either uh, take it or leave it, or it's been downright embarrassing. There are certainly moments that I'm forgetting, especially the thrilling division clinching game against Dallas in 2012. Um, But those moments have just been too far, too few and far between. For me, sports isn't, for everybody, sports is an escape from the rigors of everyday life. The Redskins just aren't that. They really aren't. Whether you're talking about the team name, which many believe to be at least insensitive, if not completely racist, or the owner, who is as tone-deaf and clueless as he gets, to the god-awful stadium or the front office who has made more shitty moves than you can count. I mean, let's bring it up. Dan Steinberg had a great tweet today. I'm going to give him credit for this one. Just just since 2009, these are the debacles that the Redskins have dealt with. Hiring the bingo caller, Sherm Lewis, to basically castrate Jim Zorn. The Hainsworth conditioning test with Mike Shanahan. The McNabb trade and then the extension. Dan Snyder sued the very small city paper in Washington because they said something that he didn't like. The RG3 trade. The messy exit with Mike Shanahan where they basically, it it was a leak parade. The Scott McGowan situation where they brought him in and then things were good and then they basically just destroyed him in the press until he was forced out. The Kirk Cousins rise and then the contract debacle. The end of the quote-unquote, and it is in quotes, the sellout streak uh, at, at FedEx and the Redskins becoming an afterthought. These are all since 2009 and I'm missing some. I really have an honest question. Is there any contingent of Washington fans, Redskin fans, that actually like Dan Snyder? Are there people out there that actually like him outside of his family and close friends? Is there anybody that would defend him? I say that there probably isn't, and for good reason. In my opinion, he's truly the worst owner in professional sports. I think he's worse than Peter Angelos. Dan Snyder's 54 years old. He will most certainly own the team for the rest of my dad's life, which to me is tragic. My dad grew up a diehard Redskin fan. He, he was a little bit younger than me. He was in his mid-20s when uh, the Redskins really came into their own. And during the heyday, uh, he's going to own the team for the rest of the time, unless he sells, which he won't, uh, the rest of my dad's life. If Dan Snyder lives to be 85, so for the 31 years, he'll own the team until I'm well into my 60s, which is that's just a shitty realization, man. That's a terrible realization. But even worse is that if he owns the team until he's 85 for the next 31 years, my kids will be in their 30s before the Redskins have a chance to be under new management. The man has owned the team 20 years and has not learned a damn thing. He is as clueless and as tone deaf as you can get. It's not getting better, guys. just isn't. 
For those of you that are like me, that are still watching and still cheering, whether it's a tepid cheer or a deep-throated cheer, I do include myself in that group, even though I'm a tepid cheer, I'm not a deep-throated cheer. I give us credit, but I continue to ask the big question, why do we do it? I know why I do it. I do it because I just don't, I like watching football, and I don't have it in me to root for another team. I can't do it. It feels cheap. It feels wrong. I can't do it. But I ask, and less and less people are doing it year year in and year out, but I ask why people continue to do it. There are people that are still vehement fans of the Washington Redskins. I don't know why. If you know why, if you have some ideas, shoot us a message, man. Let me know, because I'm at a loss. I said it during the rant, Dan Snyder, Bruce Allen, Vinny Serrato, their front office, the franchise. In 20 years, they've destroyed a part of my childhood that I really enjoyed. And I know I sound like I'm whining, and I don't, you know what, you got a problem with that, I really don't give a fuck. They have. It was a big part of my life. It was a part that, you know, I got to share with my grandfather, who he passed away in 1999, but I get to share it with him. And it's some of my greatest memories with him. And I get to share it with my dad. And now watching games with my dad, it's, you know, he and I are talking and we're catching up rather than watching the game intently. And that's not because of us. It's not because we've changed. It's because the Redskins have changed. So, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I'll watch the last three games. Uh, I guess I'll hope for a miracle that they make the playoffs, even though they won't do anything do anything in the playoffs. Uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason. I do think that they're going to fire at least... They're going to fire the entire coaching staff. I do believe that. I don't think it's the right move, but I think they'll do it. Dan Snyder and the Redskins have never made the right decision when it came to situations like this. But the one thing you can give the Redskins credit for, they're always interesting. It's not a positive thing to say that. They're always interesting. And they will be interesting because things will be moving. Um, Maybe we'll get lucky and Bruce Allen will be out of town. But it doesn't matter. Whoever comes in gets corrupted by the Ashburn culture. They get corrupted by Dan Snyder. It happened to Mike Shanahan. It happened even a little bit to Joe Gibbs. And it happened to Bruce Allen. So I'm going to leave you guys with that. Again, we are affiliated with the DMV Sports Network.com. That is DMV Sports Network.com. Also check out them on Twitter at DMV underscore SN. Follow us on Twitter. It's about time, DC1. That is ITS, about time, DC1. You can also please subscribe to our podcast, comment, rate our podcast, send us an email, ask us questions. We'll bring them up on the air. I appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you very much. Josh should be back next week. You guys have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.